Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of... Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. We are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
Uh, I want to apologize for those who uh, were uh, 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 who were uh, booked to the show, but I wasn't be able to show up on the air because I was a uh, a lot under the weather. Uh, so we're back. We're back. Hopefully, I'm still a bit under the weather, but I I have to try and go on with the show. So I'm going to say it's a great day in the city of Chicago. It's beautiful. It's sunny. It is just. One of those days you wish it could stay like this forever, forever. It is just so beautiful out there. We were out this morning and about, I mean, just walking in a neighborhood, enjoying the weather, the people, the nature itself. It was just beautiful. It was great. And I was still under the weather. I don't know. It just, whatever I got, it hit me bad. It really hit me bad. I want to apologize to the, to the folks who were expecting George Wilder to be on the show be to be on the air Monday and Tuesday, and uh, I just couldn't. If I wanted to, I could, and I wanted to, and I could not. All right, author Judith Bognar Bean and commentary will be on the show direct from Chicago. Eleanor George Wanda Jr. Yours is on the air. <laughs> See, I still have that little bit of uh, cough. And uh, but I think we'll be I think we'll be fine, folks. Uh, I may have to end the show a little earlier. I don't know. It's, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how I go. And uh, you know, I'm just glad to be back. And I'm I, I want to be back, but my body says no, no. Then I have to tell my body, oh yes, I overrule you. I will be back. This is uh, <clears throat> this is Al Green, not the singer Al Green. But this is Al Green, the congressman, I think, uh, in, in Congress. And he really, really nailed the Republicans on this one. Al Green. Mr. Speaker, once I again, hope you can hear it fine. I'm proud to rise and stand in the well of the House of Representatives. And Mr. Speaker, I'm very proud of those who have called for civility. I compliment them for calling for civility. I think civility is appropriate at all times, Mr. Speaker. But, Mr. Speaker, I do have to ask, where were you? Where were you when the President of the United States of America stood before law enforcement officers and said, you don't have to be so nice when you have a person within your care, custody, and control? Paraphrasing him, of course. Where were you? Where was your compassion? for the many people who have been victims of brutality at the hands of the constabulary. Where is your compassion for all of the people who understand that that was a message, whether intended or not, that was a message to the constabulary, to the police, that you can abuse people who are in your care, custody, and control? Where were you? Why didn't you speak out? Where was your sense of outrage as it relates to the President of the United States of America encouraging persons to assault people who were within the care, custody, and control of the police? Encouraging people to do something unconstitutional? It would have been and is still unconstitutional to assault people who are in your care, custody, and control if you're a peace officer. So where were you? Where were you when the president 
said there were some nice people among those at Charlottesville, among those who were happened to be of the KKK, the neo-Nazis, <laughs> those who were espousing harm to people. As you know, someone lost her life there in Charlottesville. Where were you? Why didn't you come out strongly against the President of the United States of America? Where were you? And then, my dear brothers and sisters, my friends across the aisle, why is it that you can find reason to condemn others and propose a resolution, but you propose not one single resolution uh, for the president who has consistently and persistently created levels of incivility that have emanated to the extent that some people may have been harmed already. Where were you? Why is it such that you can be outraged now, but you couldn't be outraged then? Where are you now as he is putting his bigotry into policy? Where are you? Why won't you stand up to this president? Are you aiding and abetting? Are you a part of the president's support system to implement the bigotry that he's putting into policy? And it is being done when the president met with those persons at the White House talking about immigration and then call certain countries in Africa S-hole countries. And now, ironically, he wants to do away with the diversity visas, which happen to impact people who may be in Africa. Where were you? Why won't you stand up? Why would you want to implement this level of bigotry into policy? I commend you, and I'm proud of you for wanting civility. I stand for civility, too. But I also know this. Those who make peaceful protest impossible make other forms of protest inevitable. I yield back the balance of my time. That's Al Green. He's a great, great uh, guy, and he stands up to the Republicans who will not stand up to Donald Trump. And that's... Uh, <clears throat> a disgrace in the country. They won't stand up to Donald Trump, but they're, they're bitching about what Maxine Waters said, that, saying that she uh, uh, instigating violence, and she was totally not. She was totally not. She's trying to fight for you, fight for me, and taking back this country. But now the Republicans are saying uh, she, owed, she owed them a, a, the world a, a apology. And Donald Trump has done so much and where were they? Well, Donald Trump was doing all of this stuff and is doing all of this stuff. It's, always, it's like it's good for the Republicans, but if you do it, you're bad. It, it, they have a one standard for President Donald Trump and another standard for you. <clears throat> and Donald Trump is not above the law. People ought to stand up there and tell him that. I don't understand why they are uh, afraid of this guy. He's right. I've said this several times on uh, on this show in the past that the Republicans in Congress are just aiding and abetting this guy. They're aiding and abetting Donald Trump. 
That's all it is. Aiding and abetting. They, they will, they will not. No matter what he does, they will not uh, criticize him or, or go against him. But if you try doing some of the same things that Donald Trump does, who? They're all coming after you. The whole kicking caboodle of Republicans are coming after you. And what you're doing is nothing uh, above the level of what Donald Trump has done. Sexual misconduct. Why aren't they going after Donald Trump for sexual misconduct? He's the king of sexual misconduct. The king. Yet he, he's president of the United States and he still gets to destroy the United States as being king. But I don't think one, – one of the things I don't think Donald Trump is going to be able to ease his ass out from under. <clears throat> and I think he knows it too. That's why he's trying to keep us distracted from one bullshit issue to the next bullshit issue is the Russia investigation. He's trying to distract us and stop us from thinking about that with all this other garbage he's trying to uh, get us to focus on. And he's a, Donald Trump enjoys dis, distracting us. He enjoys it when we get to read his fucked up tweets. He enjoys it. I mean, this gives him a kick. He's got all the power in the land. All He can do just about what he wants, and he gets a kick out of it. And the Republicans just, who you and I have voted into office, these assholes, they know they just cannot stand up to Donald Trump. They don't want to. They want to be kissing his ass. They just don't want to be standing, even though Donald Trump does not employ them. You do. Donald Trump does not pay them. You do. So that's why I say a blue wave has to come. I don't think Republicans, I mean, the Democrats are going to win every House Republican hell seat. In, in every house around the United States, but I think we should win most. And I, I keep saying this, I'm not a, a Democrat. I'm an independent, but I do lean that way. So, um, yeah, it, it's a mess. It, it's a mess. And I want to say welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show, folks. It's beautiful outside. It's great. It's wonderful, but I feel awful. But we're going to try and get through it. Um yeah, it, it, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, and I, I've got some more bad news coming up on the show, and I should do that right after this. We'll be right back. We're going to do a musical break, and we're going to be right back.
and sleep where you want to sleep and say what you want to say and let the children play while they want to play and work when you want to work like when you want to play now has audio, the TYT Audio Network, podcasts of some of your favorite shows and new shows, including one with Nina Turner, former Ohio State Senator. She's going to do We the People with Nina Turner, talking about equality and justice and seeing that through the eyes of regular Americans who are affected by politics and policy. Everybody check it out at tyt.com slash audio. Harley Davidson, uh, the iconic motorcycle manufacturer, has decided to ship some of its jobs to the European Union following retaliatory uh, tariffs imposed by the EU in response to Donald Trump's tariffs. Huh, so it turns out a trade war, maybe not so good for the U.S. economy? Hmm. <laughs> maybe uh, antagonizing our allies is a bad idea? Hmm. I hope All right. Farland's watching. I love him. So uh, Harley Davidson said that it would shift some production of its iconic bikes overseas to avoid retaliatory tariffs imposed by the EU in response to President Trump's trade moves. Now, European tariffs on its motorcycles had increased to 31 percent from 6 percent and estimated that would add about $2,200 on average to every motorcycle exported from the United States to the bloc. That's not that's not right. I, I owned a Harley. I know how much. And I own the oh, cheapest Harley, oh, by the way. Oh, did you own a Harley? I did at one oh, point. Oh, were you I owned a bad the, boy? I, I was, actually. Oh. I'm not anymore. Uh, and I own the cheap one, by the way. A lot of them are fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. That math doesn't even work out. How did you go from a Harley to a scooter? I like all sorts of motorcycles. Oh, get it. Okay. Anyway, that's not the important part yeah, of the story. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's going to cost more than $2,200 additional dollars on average. Sure. Look, the point of the story is For Harley, Harley which, which was pretty supportive of the Trump administration um, you know, while Trump was running, they were has now decided, oh, Apparently, this guy is really bad for our business, so we're going to ship some jobs overseas. Now, um, Trump also seemed to have a lot of love for the company. And I want to uh, share a video from February 2nd, 2017, where he uh, spreads the love to Harley Davidson. Take a look. Thank you, Harley Davidson, for building things for America. I think you're going to even expand. I know your business is now doing very well, and there's a 
there's a lot of spirit right now in the country that you weren't having so much in the last number of months that you have right now. You see what's happening. We want to make it easier for businesses to create more jobs and more factories in the United States. And you're a great example of it. That means we have to make America the best country on earth to do business, and that's what we're in the process of doing. In the 1980s, and I remember this, you were victims of trading abuse, big trading abuse, where they were dumping all sorts of competitors all over the place. And Ronald Reagan stepped in, and he put on large tariffs. And you wouldn't be talking about Harley Davidson probably right now if he didn't do that. But we're going to help you too, and we're going to make it really great for business, not just you, but for everybody. You know who's not good for business? Donald Trump, a mm -hmm. man who went bankrupt six separate times before being elected as president of the United States. He was partially elected because uh, part of our electorate believed that he was a smart businessman. A smart businessman doesn't go bankrupt six times. A smart businessman understands the nuances uh, of the very policies that he's pushing for. He is not a smart man. He is not a sophisticated thinker. It is not elitist to argue that. He's just not. Mm -hmm. He's not. He didn't think about the consequences or the ramifications of what he's doing. And ironically, this trade war is going to hurt his supporters the most. We're talking about soybean farmers. We're talking about manufacturers. We're talking about companies that were pretty openly supportive of Trump. And now he's basically giving you a middle finger in the form of incompetent trade policy. I don't know. I, I think that, yes, Harley Davidson will be hurt. All of the hippies that work for Harley Davidson will be out of a job, maybe. No, of course, this is this is stupid. Like, so they had a choice. You, you raised all these tariffs on the EU. They're going to do the same thing. They chose to do that. And so Harley Davidson was going to be left with a choice between selling significantly less motorcycles abroad because they'd be thousands of dollars more and even less cost competitive against EU manufactured motorcycles, of which there are a number of amazing brands that are generally already far cheaper than Harley Davidson's or shocker they've got factories over there they can just make more of them there which is going to hurt not just the workers who would be manufacturing who would be assembling them here in the US but if they're going to be sourcing more parts abroad that could hurt any number of other related industries if you produce those sorts of things it's so short-sighted and so obvious at the same time. Did you see his tweet about this a little bit later on the day? I did not. Okay, so I have it here just in case. So he tweeted this about an hour ago. Surprised that Harley Davidson of all companies would be the first to wave the capital white flag. I fought hard for them and ultimately they will not pay tariffs selling into the EU, which has hurt us badly on trade down 151 billion. Do a fact check on that. Tax is just a Harley excuse. Be patient, MAGA. You didn't fight hard for them. You made it harder for them to sell their motorcycles abroad. Because here's the thing, Harley traditionally is, it's the most iconic American motorcycle manufacturer. It's got some competitors like Victory and stuff like that, but they were the big one. And they have sold as many motorcycles as they can in the US. There's only so much of a market here. What they want to do is they want to expand abroad. They want Chinese people to buy Harley Davidsons because there's a lot of them. They want the EU, they want to sell them in India. And you are making it way more difficult for them to actually do that when you make them so much less cost competitive against those domestic international competitors. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Europe is the second largest market for Harley Davidson. Mm -hmm. So they are legitimately concerned about how 
these tariffs are going to impact them. And so it makes all the sense in the world that they would react this way. It makes all the sense in the world that our allies would react the way they have to Trump's tariffs. They were not well thought out. They just weren't. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say tariffs are unacceptable under any circumstances. No, I know that the situation is a lot more complex than that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not president of the United States, and I understand that. Most people are not president of the United States and never will be, and they understand that. The president of the United States doesn't understand that. In his world, everything is black or white, okay? And in order to sell these tariffs, he has lied to us about trade deficits. He has made up numbers, and a lot of those numbers have gone unchecked. And it's frustrating because the people who lose in the end are the American people, those who do create American manufacturing jobs, those who are employed in those jobs, farmers who, who grow soybeans, uh, oranges, all these different industries, all these different farmers are going to be negatively impacted by this man who doesn't have enough brain cells to think logically about how his policies negatively impact people. Two easy ways to follow the Young Turks. One is hit the subscribe button down below, uh, then you're a TYT subscriber, and second is ring the bell. And when you do that on YouTube, you're notified of our videos. Donald Trump is not President king. Trump says he can do whatever he wants with the Justice Department. No, he can the comments during an impromptu interview with the New York Times asked whether the Hillary Clinton email investigation should be reopened. He said, quote, I have the absolute right to do what I want with the Justice Department, but for the purposes of hopefully thinking I'm going to be treated he fairly, I've stayed uninvolved with this particular right matter. Anything. Evan Perez is out front tonight. And Evan, set the record straight for us. What can and can't the president do with the Justice well, look, Department? Right. Well, Poppy, the, the fact is the president it, it controls the Justice Department in the sense that it's part of the executive branch. Right. It reports to him. He, he hires and has the, the right to, to fire the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, the political appointees there. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to, say, ordering a, an investigation of his political opponents, which is kind of what the conversation uh, that, was, that, that, that was part of the context there, uh, you know, there is a limit to what he can do simply because there has to be a legal basis for doing such an investigation. And if he tried to force the Justice Department, the FBI, to carry out an investigation of his political opponents for which there was no legal basis, I think he'd get a lot of pushback from the career people there. He'd get pushback from the attorney general, certainly uh, Jeff Sessions. I think that's part of his frustration. Uh, you're hearing uh, a president who is used to being a CEO, who's yeah. used to being able to tell people what to do, and, and that's a limitation that he has to deal with now uh, as president. And that's one of the, we, we've, he, we've heard from him repeatedly, his frustration with Jeff Sessions and the Justice Department, because he has seen repeatedly, uh, and with James Comey, the FBI director that he fired, uh, he's seen repeatedly that there's a limitation to his powers as president. Uh, indeed, it's very different than running a private uh, organization, right. not even a public company, where you're responsible to a public board. Uh, right, very exactly. different, certainly, now. Thank you very much, Evan. Have a Happy great New weekend. Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks. Out front now, former ethics lawyer under President George W. Bush, Richard Painter, and former White House counsel under President Nixon, John Dean. Gentlemen, nice to have you with me. John, let me begin with you. The president says, I can do whatever I want with the Justice Department. You say? I don't think he can. It's the <coughs> Justice Department is a creature of Congress. It was actually created in 1870 after the Civil War. And they laid out what the rules are. Mm -hmm. And the president's job under the Constitution is to faithfully execute the laws. That doesn't mean he can rewrite the laws and do what he wants. Richard, this comment from the president is interesting because it somewhat contradicts what he said 
uh, about, about the department, about the FBI, in a radio interview last month. Let's listen to that. The saddest thing is that because of the President of the United States, I am not supposed to be involved with the Justice Department. I'm not supposed to be involved with uh, the FBI. I'm not supposed to be doing the kind of things that I would love to be doing. And I'm very frustrated by it. Notable, though, that he did lament over not being able to do those things. What, what's your read overall on this? Well, I think he picked the wrong country to be president of if he uh, thinks he has absolute power uh, to run the Justice Department however he wants. Uh, uh, that may be the way it works in uh, Putin's Russia and other places. That's not the way it works here. There are laws, and he has sworn to uphold the law and the Constitution of the United States. He has the power uh, to remove the attorney general, mm -hmm. to remove uh, all of his appointees in the Justice Department. But he does not have the right, the legal right, to use that power to either get the Justice Department to investigate his political opponents, which is the way business is done in dictatorships. That's not the way we do it in the United States. He has no right to do that. He also has no right to remove the attorney general or pressure the attorney general to fire Robert Mueller to stop the Justice mm -hmm. Department from investigating the White House and members of his campaign who are currently members of his administration, some of them. So he may not obstruct justice as president of the United States. He is not above the law. And uh, that's the bottom line. He is not above the law. He is not a king. He is a president in a constitutional system of government. And to be clear here, uh, you know, Mueller's boss, Rod Rosenstein, Stein, um, testified to Congress, you know, John, as you know, that no one has asked him to fire Mueller. He doesn't see any reason to fire Mueller. One of the most stunning things of this interview was that the president said he thinks Mueller is going to treat him fairly. This at the same time, John, as uh, you know, a growing number of his fellow Republicans have been attacking Mueller's integrity and the investigation here to some of those attacks. If everyone was dismissed from the Mueller team who was anti-Trump, you wouldn't have anybody left. Mueller, I have said since day one, since he was appointed, he's bad news. He's out for a scalp. He would love to get Trump's scalp. This has really spun far beyond what uh, Mr. Mueller's authority should have been limited to. And uh... <laughs> All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Like I said before, folks, we're back on the air after being off for two days. And uh, I'd like to apologize to any of my guests who are waiting to be on the show and I didn't show up it's because I was way under the weather. I'm still under the weather a little bit, but uh, we're back and it's a beautiful day in the city of Chicago and I hope it's a great day. Wherever you are, you can probably tell them, um, you can probably tell that I'm talking a little bit like a, a, a nasal talker or verbal talker. Uh, but anyway, it's better than not being able to say anything at all. Anyway, uh, the George Walter Jr. Show is back, and we're still having fun and everything, folks. And it's great day in the city of Chicago. Once again, I hope it's beautiful and wonderful where you are. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. And feeling good and feeling up and feeling positive about things, and you're ready to change stuff. All right. You're on the, sh you're on the air with George Wilder Jr. Go right ahead. Hi, George. It's Judith Bognar Bean, author of Bittersweet Freedom. How are you doing? I hope you're feeling uh, a little I'm, bit better. I, I, I'm trying. I, I am totally trying. <laughs> I mean, I have oh, been so really, sorry. really under the... I have been... I, see, I don't know. I think I caught it from my son, but it really knocked me out. I tried to 
for the last two days, I haven't been on the air and I've had guests wanting to come. I just couldn't do it. And people said, why don't you have a replacement? I said, there's nobody as good as I can do it. So I, I don't replace you're the, you're the man. <laughs> that's why. When you're good, you're um, good. <laughs> yeah, but when you're that's sick and you're down, you're down. See, I, I think they'll say people as good as you don't have time to be sick, right? You don't have time to be, be sick because you, there's so many things to do. You got so many places to go. You got so many people. You got a few people uh, depending on you for this and that. But you know, sometimes you know they have to take a back seat to when you're not feeling well. All right, you well, just barking out being on. Yeah. Well, I'm getting better, or, or I wouldn't be on. So I'm. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, give welcome. us a little bit of your bio. Uh, give us a little bit of your bio. Tell us a little bit about, about the book. Sure. Well, I uh, I was born to a 1956 Hungarian Revolution freedom fighter in Budapest, Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, to those folks who may or may not know, um, during World War II, uh, the Nazis and Germans took over Hungary, and um, the Hungarian people suffered a lot of persecution, especially the Jewish people. But uh, they were just taking everything from the country, and the people were suffering. They took all our freedoms away, those that we hold so dear here. Um, as the war progressed, even the Americans started to bomb Hungary because Hungary was rich in coal and oil reserves that the German war machine depended upon to keep going. So unfortunately, even the Americans were bombing Hungary. Well, they survived all that, and um, they were actually freed by the Soviets, the Russian army. Uh, So on April 4th, 1945, Hungary was liberated by the Russians, and the Soviet troops freed Hungary of their corrupt occupiers, the Nazis. But Hungary, unfortunately, exchanged one form of torment for another. For now, the country was held within the iron fist of the Soviet regime. And just as during the Nazi occupation, the people were going without having their simplest needs met, food was scarce, people were just trying to even eat dead animals off the street, and prices on everything was super high. And the Russians had promised the Hungarian people more of everything, but the country was strangling amidst waves of oppression and destitution. And so one morning, a peaceful march, a student march, was held, like we have protests here, students gathering, protesting, there's no weapons, they have no arms, they have no nothing, they're just marching with signs like we would do here. The Tuesday, October 23rd, 1956, my father, who was one of the major leaders of the underground movement against the Soviet occupation of Hungary, and one of the leaders demanding more rights for the people, more of everything, because the country was starving. They met, uh, started marching one early more, uh, uh, one afternoon, October 23rd. In the late afternoon, just by word of mouth, thousands and thousands of students started gathering, and they were holding a protest against the Soviet government demanding democracy and reform, and they were heading toward a radio station on Brody Shandor Street to broadcast their demands to the world for freedom and to hopefully rally other nations to their plight 
including the United States of America. Well, by the late afternoon and early evening, the crowd had grown to over 100,000 people. And in Hungary, there was this notorious Hungarian secret police called the AVO, and they allowed a few protesters inside the radio station. But after a few hours after dark, those people had not yet come out. And the crowd was really beginning to worry that they had been, you know, hurt or killed or the worst. And the AVO was, was kind of like the the worst. You've heard of like the uh, Gestapo, things like that? Yes. Well, they, yeah. Their, yeah, their mission was to hunt out any man, woman, or child even remotely against Russian rule of Hungary. Their motto was, whatever it takes to make them confess. And uh, they had their notorious terror house where they took people, even just young people, just for speaking out against the government, things we, we take so lightly wow. today. They pulled, they pulled out their fingernails with pliers, dipped them in hydrochloric acid. Um, and so the wow. people said that they had enough of this. They had enough. And as night descended on the crowd, the AVO, or the so-called secret police, started mowing down the people with machine gun fire from the tops of buildings. They just started shooting down. And that was the beginning of the bloody 1956 Hungarian Revolution. And my father was in that. He was one of the ones confiscating any weapons that they could get from the AVO that they were knocking out and beating up and dragging down to take weapons away from them. Um, as the day, as the night went on, people, innocent people, just wanting freedom and food, basically food, were beaten up, left for dead. They were killed. They were taken away to be tortured. And most of these people were under the age of 20. Um, we got through that, and um, a few days later, um, one of my dad's friends announced to my dad, he says, you know, they know who you are. They're coming to get you, and I don't even know. It could be any minute. It could be tomorrow, but they're coming to get you. And so what happened is that very night, we gathered up everything. I was only two years old, by the way. Yeah. My father was 20. My mother was 19 years old. And that very night, we had like oh, a little humble apartment, if you could even call it an apartment. It was one room with a cold stove in the middle and a mattress on the floor and a table, and that was considered luxurious accommodations. But on that night, during those dark, mournful days of the Hungarian Revolution, we were a small sum of thousands who um, made our treacherous passage trying to get to America. There were um, many, many different routes that people were taking, but we decided just to, to go it on foot and trying to get to a place called the Andau Bridge, which was in Austria, but it was still a good 90 miles away. And so we had a friend who had like an underground system going with trucks, and they found, confiscated a Russian truck and so the freedom fighters were gathering as many people as they could into these Russian trucks and taking us as far as we could uh, into wow. the wooded areas uh. where another truck would find us. And we would have to wow. make our way. But all the time, the Soviet army is patrolling the streets. They're patrolling the woods. 
you can hear the machine gun fire going off and people are screaming and children are crying as they're being mowed down, trying to escape oppression. And so um, we, that, you know, we were able... Go ahead, George. I'm sorry. It sounds like something that may be still going on today. It uh, is. You know, people, it is. People, it is in different forms. In different forms. Yeah. That's right. And, and in some cases, not even different forms. And I mean, you got some of this stuff going on in the United States. You know, I mean, a place where you were trying to around the world in, in yeah. Iran. Look what they're doing even to the people of Iran. It's not the people's fault, George. It's not their fault. They can't help what governments over them. You know. It's yeah, it's the fault. government. It's their leadership. It's it's. The people right. at the top who are stepping on the, the people top. on the bottom. Yeah, the That's very right. top. The very top who are stepping on those who and have sometimes nothing. Sometimes it and, goes beyond the top. It's it's not even like yeah. even the president of a country. It's there, there are systems in place all over the world that are even telling other people what to do. It's so sometimes I think the layers are so deep that we're never going to get to it all. There's always more to it than I think we even know of. Or it's going to get even worse than ever. You know, I mean, it's it, it, it's getting bad. I mean, the scene that you were describing uh, uh, back in Hungary, I mean, this was just, this, this reminded me of some of the things that's going on in America that's just starting because we have new leadership at the top who this guy wants to be a dictator. He, he wants to be like Adolf Hitler and he's, his policies is, is exactly that. And uh, I want to say one thing about the book. You sound, as you were talking about the book and your struggles, uh, it must have been really emotional writing the book for you. It was very difficult because the book not uh-huh. only starts with the revolution. Um, it's it, The book details the very, very beginnings of living through a world war. My parents were just kids. They were little kids, seven, eight years old, and here they're born into a life that they had no choice to be born into. I mean, they exactly. they, they were forced to be born into this time, into this horrible time in history. Um, and you think, and you think, if they knew what they were getting into by being born, they probably they probably would have refused. <laughs> Probably and 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 I, and I wrote here. I wrote in my book um, about my dad, and this sums it up. What I just said to you, I said he was not born to be an ordinary man. He was not destined to even lead an ordinary life, but destined to live the extraordinary life of an unsung hero of the 1956 yes. Hungarian yes. Revolution, and yes. he was destined to live through the monstrous atrocities inflicted upon the people of his country of Hungary by the Soviet army. And by the way, my father had to do this. He was destined to take lives, to save lives. If that makes sense. He was destined to be a leader. Destined to have to kill to save. And yeah, destined yeah. to be one of the most courageous men ever to be born. And that's how I looked at him. But uh, yeah. he... Yeah. It, it was a terrible time, and then when they were, you know, during World War II, there was nothing to nothing to eat. The country was bombed out. Um, people were didn't even have underwear. I know it's 
that's something weird to talk about, but you know, underwear is important, and they didn't even have yeah. that. They they had to find plant materials and scraps and anything they could to even clean themselves with for you know for hygiene. There was nothing available. How people survived was literally a miracle. Um, I, there was yeah. a time when my mother was a little girl and during the war and um, her mother was her mother was praying that somehow they'd find something to eat and they found some dead horses on the street that had been bombed oh, out and they wow. they cut up the horses and drove them home and cooked them in a pot just you know, and they didn't mind you they didn't have like potatoes and onions and all these yummy things to throw in the pot and and cook along with it um, they just had to just cook the meat in salt if they had it and just yeah. eat it and my my, my mom refused mm. to eat it because it was grossing her out she was just really sick sick and um, her mother took a knife I remember my mother telling me this she took a knife and put it to her throat just about nicking her skin and her mother told her you will eat this because I will kill you myself before I watch you starve to death yeah, and that yeah. is that's how bad things things had gotten and so my wow. parents uh, lived through World War II. Um, the Germans um, ransacked the, the, the town, the Budapest, Hungary, taking whatever they yeah. wanted, and that included women, food, property, anything. Uh, who, who You couldn't fight them. You didn't have weapons. Uh, you, you, that's why you, every, I mean, people must have a way to defend themselves. An unarmed populace mm -hmm. is a populace that is helpless you can't yes you can't defend yourself and yeah, hitler knew yeah. very well what he was doing during that time yeah. he, he started right. out saying oh it's for your own good you know not to have all these things and as soon as he disarmed everybody he moved right in and people couldn't fight back they were helpless yeah, yeah your father and was a so, hero uh, he was a leader your father was a hero he was a leader and you can just can imagine sometimes i sit around and out i imagine all of the unknown heroes and leaders throughout history who have done some great things for their people that we don't even know their names but they no, were there oh thousands of years of them i mean yeah for, yeah. for as long as there's been mankind humankind People have been doing yeah. wonderful things that we'll never know about. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I was inspired to write the book. It's it's probably mm -hmm. not the kind of book that's, I mean, unless you're interested in history, that the everyday person is going to pick up and yeah. go, oh, wow. But the people who are interested in history, who are interested in the lives of what people went through in order to to get what they have today, to have the country exactly. that we have today, our, our yeah. very own yeah. people went through this to build America. Look at yeah. look at mm -hmm. the um, the Irish that were brought over here, the Chinese, um, yeah. all the countless other immigrants that worked to build our railroads, who were who were who were treated as slaves all right you know what i mean yeah. they they, they yeah. weren't treated well so it, there's, there's all kinds of of uh, slavery and mistreatment of mankind over the centuries but but we have to learn from I that say, and that's why i wrote the book. you have to learn yeah some of these slaves built on railroads or, or 
schoolhouses, the White House, you know, and they were That's treated right. badly. They were treated, they were treated uh, unhumanly, like not non-humans. They were treated non, but they built everything. Like non-humans. You know, yeah. Uh, if I could say, and that's I'm, and I'm that's exactly what the what they did to the Jewish people. They looked at the yeah. Jewish people as if they weren't even part of the human race. They yeah. just my father, my father's parents had had really good Jewish friends. My father was a very famous accordion player. He was renowned throughout the country. He was considered a national treasure literally a national treasure. He played on demand, and your readers may or may not know this, uh, depending on their age, but there was the leader of, of the Hungary called Khrushchev. He was Soviet leader. Khrushchev yeah, yeah, was heard of one him. of the most cruel, callous people. Well, Daddy would have to go play at the Hungarian Parliament House on demand for Khrushchev, play his music, because he was a renowned musician, and play all night, unfed, unpaid, unappreciated, but had to be there, or else. So that was uh, you. You didn't have much choice. When someone wanted you there, you had yeah. to be there. You had to be there. But okay. But so many great people in the world have have lived under the abuses of communism and socialism. Yeah. Yeah. Author Judith Bernar on Bonar and Bean on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Can you tell us the name of your book and where we can go find it and why it's important sure, that sure. we should we, why it's so important that we should take a take a read to your book? Certainly. My book is called Bittersweet Freedom. And the front of the book freedom. says Bittersweet Freedom has a beautiful picture on the front and I'll describe it to you. That's but a nice it says title. What 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 would you be willing to sacrifice to live in freedom? Would it be worth the price? And you think on that. What would you be willing to sacrifice to live in freedom? People need to imagine if they just didn't have what they have, what if they lived under a, a, a system where you didn't dare move or talk or you couldn't trust your own family for turning you into the government? What would you do in order to be free? So, yeah, freedom is bittersweet because as much joy as you do find eventually, you leave a bit of your heart behind. Mm -hmm. You leave your country, you leave your family, your relatives, you know, everyone. Your way of life, your your language. Judith, is this your first book, your second book? It is my first book, and it's very well okay. received. It's it's received um, acclaimed yeah. reviews of several, several wonderful reviews, um, not just from individuals, why. but from actual, you know, book review firms. So I'm very, very happy about that. I've been recently nominated too for um, 2018 Female Writer of the Year by the uh, author show. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm supposed to find out sometime <laughs> in the middle of July. So I'll have to let you know about that. But the yeah, book it, cover I, it, itself. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Go. No, 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 no. Uh, you, you were talking about the book cover. Where can we find the yeah. book? Did you tell us where we could find it, how we can get it, how we can buy it, it how we can purchase it? You, you can go to there's several places. It's at all the major okay. online book places. You can go to Amazon. Uh-huh. You can go Amazon. to Barnes and Noble. Uh, Amazon. Okay. You can go uh, to uh, 
and actually just type in the title and it just tells you everywhere. Type in Bittersweet Freedom Judith Bognar Bean, B O G N A R, and then like bean like a green bean. And uh, it would yeah, get you a bunch yeah. of sites. And I can give you my website. If they can also go to the website and order from there. Okay, give us that. It's um it's uh, www.carpathianvalleybooks.com. And Carpathian That's is Carpathian, like Carpathian, right? Yeah, like the yeah. vampires in Transylvania. Yeah. The mountains that run through that region. Because Carpathian it mountains like run through Hungary, too. Yeah, it sounds like a very good book. It sounds like it's very and these these this is how do you title it? I mean, how do you uh what category do you put it in? Fiction, nonfiction? Uh Oh my goodness, they have it under several. They have it memoir. Oh they have it nonfiction, memoir. they have it history, okay. and it's also under biography wow. because it's a true story. So it's yeah, under several yeah, categories. Basically the nonfiction thing about this book. I will tell you something though that the, the best that the reviewers really liked about it is the fact yeah. that you know how you read a memoir and they always say yeah. we did this, I did that, then this happened. <laughs> I I find that kind of dry and sometimes a bit boring. Yeah, it does sound boring. So, it is boring for me. So I thought, how can I make this not boring, even though it's interesting? Yeah. But I I made it read like a story, like a once upon a time. Story. It's like you're reading okay. a story to a child. So it's it's uh-huh. it's all like reads like make believe, but it's real all the way. So yeah, it, it is real it's and much it's very, more. It's and it's very interesting. Way. It's very interesting. It, it sounds like a page turner. It keeps you gripped to the. It keeps you gripped to the to the story. And it, it, oh yeah, uh, the, the Chiplet Cafe lady said uh, she uh, she couldn't go to sleep. She says. This thing kept me yeah. up all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's uh, something that you don't want to put down until you finish. It's, until you finish. Exactly, because you're, you're always wondering, well, it's like she said, the family had so many things happening to them, things that yeah. are so out of the ordinary for the everyday people. You wondered every time you turned the page, well, what's going to happen next? How are they going to yeah, make exactly. it through this? How are they going to survive yeah. that? And if that happens... Yeah. Then where are they going to go from from there? <laughs> so yeah, oh, I got I got okay. I got to know. I just got to know. I I got to know. I got to know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the old commercial. Inquiring minds want to know. Remember that yeah, one? <laughs> yeah, we want to know. We want to know. Uh, uh, I want to thank you, Judith. Judith, I want to thank you. Running out of time. I want to thank you, Judith Bonar, being on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Give us that. Give us one website one more time to where we can go get your books for everybody listening. Uh, we'll we'll have that idea of how to get your book and where we can, uh, it, you know, pick it up to enjoy it. Of course, and it's again, it's Carpathian. C A R P A T H I A N ValleyBooks dot com. And it's also available on Amazon because a lot of people go Amazon, to Amazon. Barnes and Noble. Again, just yeah. type in the title, my name. It'll pop up everywhere. Judith, I want to thank you for being on the show. You've been been very exciting, dealing with my cold and everything. It's been beautiful. <laughs> You're wonderful, George. I just want you to feel better. It's tough working when you don't feel well. 
and it I is thank tough, you for taking our time, even though you don't feel good. Yeah, it is, it is tough, but, you know, it's still fun. It is still tough, but it is, it is fun. I hope I hear from you again. Bye-bye. I thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, <laughs> uh, a great interview uh, from a great person, uh, Judith uh, Bonara Bean, her book, Bittersweet Freedom. Check it out. Check it out. I know I will. I I know I will. All right. We should be right back after a little bit of uh, from a musical guest on the show. And uh, I am feeling a little bit better, folks. But you know what? It, it it's still there. I'm in, I'm feeling more more. Uh, uh, see, I can barely talk. I, I'm talking through my nose right now. But uh, I'm here, and uh, we're gonna do this, and we will be back. Musical break right here.
Darkest hour, Trump's court. Yeah, it's Trump's court. Now, we Democrats, independents, you, we are in some big trouble. Trump, um, uh, Anthony Kennedy, Justice Anthony Kennedy, one of the nine uh, judges on the Supreme Court. You know, the judges on, on the Supreme Court, they have those jobs until their life life termers i mean that those jobs belong to them as long as they're alive but today anthony judge um let me see uh, yeah uh, they call them justices justice anthony kennedy announces retirement from the supreme court okay um the justice departure will likely tilt the balance of the court further to the right oh it will it will this Supreme Court will become more of a Republican conservative Supreme Court. That means because it's conservative now. Okay, there's nine judges on the Supreme Court. There's nine, well, they don't call them judges, they call them justices. There's, there's nine justices on the Supreme Court. And there's five Republicans and there's three, there's four, excuse me, four Democrats. It's a 5 4 court, okay? Five four court, and the only reason why it's a five four court is because Mitch McConnell and the Republicans they stopped Obama, stopped Obama Cole from from um from his Supreme support from his court pick to be sitting at, on the Supreme Court. You know, so uh, now it's going to go further to the right. Because now it's just a 5-4 court. It's going to be a 6-3 court once Trump uh, sits this judge uh, uh, to replace uh, Anthony Kennedy. So the Democrats are in deep doo-doo when it comes. They're trying to stop Trump right now from uh, doing this, but until after the midterms, but it's not going to happen. Trump is going to do this immediately because this is what he wants. He wants his court to be his court. Desperate Democrats are urging the GOP to follow McConnell's rule. Desperate, there is no rule. There's one rule for the Republicans and there's another rule for uh, Democrats. Because if this court goes any further to the right, the Democrats will never regain it It'll be centuries or de- decades. Uh, they'll never regain it. They've lost control. They lost control last year. When, uh, uh, it, more likely during Obama's last year of office, uh, Mitch McConnell and Republicans embarrassed the Democrats, insulted the Democrats, said the Democrats was not going to be able to sit their nominee onto the Supreme Court, and the Democrats caved in and. Um, you know, and, and after the election, Trump uh, chose his uh, chose a Republican to be set on the Supreme Court, which made it a five four court. Five uh, uh, Republicans, four Democrats. So if there's a re- and it seems like every vote is down partisan lines. So the Democrats were screwed. The independents just screwed. The Supreme Court is, rep- is going to be a Republican court. And in some ways, I blame this on the Democrats. 
I really do. I because they let Mitch McConnell and the Republicans screw them out of a Supreme Court pick, which they had every right to do. And now this is not, and now this has happened. The court is going to move further to the right. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen. The Democrats are screwed. And now they're begging and begging this and begging that. <clears throat> it ain't going to happen because Trump has proved over and over again he hates Democrats. So I'm pretty sure he's going to move quickly on this. Okay, it says here, I'm reading an article. It says Supreme Court Associate Justice. Justice Anthony Kennedy will step down from the bench on July 31st, he announced on, on Wednesday. This, I think I'm quoting him here. He says, it has been the greatest honor and privilege to serve our nation in the federal judiciary for 43 years. 30 of those years on the statement, which noted that he chose to step down to spend more time with his family. Of course, he's aging. You know, he's aging. He's 81. Kennedy, 81, has sat on the high court since 1988. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, if I was him, I'd probably resign also. You know, uh, he wants to spend his golden, what years he has left with his family. Okay, the Rod, Ronald Reagan appointed him. Wow. He's known for his frequent role as a swing vote on the 5-4 court decisions in this uh, in this Supreme Court term, Kennedy sided with the court's conservative block in every one of the court's 5-4 decisions. And with his departure, President Trump is likely to appoint more, a more reliable conservative judge who will swing the balance of the court further to the right. Among the key issues at stake are uh, is the constitutional right to abortion up what has upheld the court since, 19, since the 1973 decision in Roe versus Wade with a conservative replacing Kennedy. Any abortion activists are likely to shepherd a challenge that to a ruling to the Supreme Court. This is bad. This is bad. And you know, if Trump is going to, more likely he will, don't even talk in the past tense when you're talking about Donald Trump, especially when it comes to him appointing uh, someone to the Supreme Court. He will appoint this is this will be his second appointment to the Supreme Court since he been president. And we know that when Donald Trump appoints somebody, they're crooked, they're thug, they're they're crooked, they're criminals probably, uh, don't know their jobs well or you know, it, it's gonna be something. He's gonna make sure that the judge he uh, picks for the Supreme Court, kisses his ass, give him the most loyalty, <clears throat> most be who's going to be the most loyal. If I'm double talking, folks, it's be, because uh, I'm still under the weather. So forgive me. Um, and this is something. Uh, it's all over everywhere that uh, the Supreme Court will be going more more to the right than ever, and it's going to be hard for the Democrats to win on any judicial is issues that faces the Supreme Court that comes up. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And this is one way where the Republicans can really, really start to dismantle America. Dismantle America. You know, they don't like 
what uh, FDR did back in the uh, 40, 30s, 40s, and, you know, they don't like that. They're going to try to uproot all of that. Social Security, Medicaid, you name it. Every social program there is, they're coming after. And they're going to get it. They're going to get it. It's a shame that it's more of us than there are of them. But they have the most money. They have the most power. So uh, voting blue is going to be very, very crucial uh, coming up. And it will be devastating, devastating. Um, And this guy, he voted, um, from what I'm reading here, he voted uh, with the Republicans all the time. He voted with the conservatives. He voted with everyone all the time. And uh, with his departure, President Donald Trump is likely to appoint a more reliable conservative judge. Yeah, somebody who will be kissing his ass, doing what he wants them to do, uh, no matter how crazy, how buffoonish. I mean, he's turning the Supreme Court into his own little monkey. Excuse me. He's turning the Supreme Court. And as we know, Donald Trump has gone bankrupt six times. He has filed bankrupt six times. That's not a businessman. That's someone who's failed as a businessman. And every time and everything Donald Trump touches goes to ruin. And now he's about to touch the Supreme Court. And it's gonna go to ruin. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. The White House continues to deny that the Attorney General's demand for the resignations of all 46 incumbent U.S. attorneys around the country and the subsequent optical disaster of the firing of New York's U.S. attorney, Preet Bharara, was instigated by a paranoid Sean Hannity TV segment demanding the immediate purge of everybody in the government who had worked for President Obama. The circumstantial evidence, however, supports the theory that it was Hannity's puppeteer hand up Trump's back. And that circumstantial evidence consists of the grim reality that we have elected President Emily Latella. You're too young. She was the Saturday Night Live little old lady character portrayed by the late great Gilda Radner, who came on to give ludicrous editorial replies during weekend updates such as, I'm here tonight to speak out against busting schoolchildren. What's all this fuss I keep hearing about saving Soviet jewelry? What's all this fuss I keep hearing about endangered feces? Then they would correct her and she'd say, that's very different, and then pause and say, never mind. 122 vicious prisoners released by the Obama administration from Gitmo have returned to the battlefield. Just another terrible decision. Even the Fox News segment that President Emily Latella got that from did not mess that up. 113 of the prisoners were actually released by the Bush administration. Never mind. But Trump was watching, <coughs> listening, as in February, seemingly talking about terrorism in Europe. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden! Who would believe this? Sweden! They took in large numbers. 
That was so off that it prompted the closest thing Trump has yet made to an admission that he's ever screwed anything up. My statement as to what's happening in Sweden was in reference to a story that was broadcast on Fox News concerning immigrants in Sweden. Others have suggested that Trump is a real-life equivalent of the Peter Sellers character, Chauncey Gardner, in the extraordinary movie Being There. Sellers portrayed a gardener who lived his entire life on the grounds of a rich man's mansion and understood only two things, gardening and television. Discovered, he is mistaken for a political savant and is soon consulting the president who misunderstands the platitudes of TV that Sellers repeats as deep, subtle insight. But Chauncey Gardner knew his television. He could recite all the commercials. He was listening. Trump is just as much of a television addict with just as little connection to non-television reality, but while he is ruling this country based largely on what he sees on TV that reinforces what he already saw on TV or reinforces what he thinks he already saw on TV, he's not even paying attention to the TV. Since the inauguration, he has tweeted about a minimum of 11 news stories it seems fair to believe he saw on television and gotten them wrong in some way. Besides the Swedish and Gitmo stories, the Women's March protesters. Why didn't these people vote? The so-called carnage in Chicago. The so-called expert who could prove there were three million illegal votes. Only the guy has never produced the evidence that he's promised. His conclusion that all the protesters in Berkeley were paid thugs. Exaggerating the target of a terrorist attack in Paris from the Louvre Mall to the Louvre Museum. His announcement, although protests at the Republican town halls had been planned by liberals, that the first time Jeff Sessions ever met the Russian ambassador, it was arranged by Obama, about Arnold Schwarzenegger's departure from The Apprentice, and add to those the crazy Obama tapped my phone story. He's President Emily Latella. Trump's first 279 non-deleted tweets as president are amazingly television-centric. There were two in which he congratulated himself on the TV ratings of his inauguration, ten promoting the broadcasts of TV interviews he has given, including the exact time the show would air. There are six that specifically criticize CNN, one that criticizes MSNBC, and 24 that refer imprecisely to media, fake news, fake media, or fake news media, including one about how, after he called them all that and called them the enemy of the American people, quote, it is amazing how rude they are. And the number of Trump tweets that include Fox graphics or images or congratulations to Fox News on its ratings or simple statements tagged at Fox and Friends as if he's grandpa yelling at the television, that's 12 tweets. This is a total of 54 tweets about TV or stuff he kind of saw on TV. I have invoked Saturday Night Live and the film being there, so why not one more? In the other great speech in the fantastic Patty Chayefsky movie Network, Peter Finch as Howard Beale reminds us what television really is. When the 12th largest company in the world controls the most awesome goddamn propaganda force in the whole godless world, who knows what shit will be peddled for truth on this network? So listen to me. Television is not the truth. We're in the boredom-killing business. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there, 
Day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds, we're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusions. Sound like anybody we know? So is there a solution to President Emily Latella? I mean, before he is impeached, or imprisoned, or institutionalized. Well, years ago, an unhappy CEO whose fourth largest company in the world owned my television network sat me down and threatened to take the network off the air. I don't mean figuratively. I mean, fire everybody at it, pay us our full contracts, and shut the channel off because a rival cable network was making up stories about how this CEO personally was selling materiel used to make weapons with which American servicemen were being killed. The man said his 80-something mother back in Cincinnati watched the rival network and kept calling him up to yell at him about his disloyalty and he had had enough. So I said politely that I thought he was overreacting. And maybe there was a middle ground short of shuttering the network that was finally making him a reported $100 million a year in profit. And he said, like, what? And I offered him a few ideas, and then I decided to point out to him how crazy his idea was, and I said it was exactly this crazy. How old did you say your mother was again? I asked. 80-whatever, he answered. Well, if she's that old, she certainly wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight if you sent one of your guys to her house and pulled her cable connection out of the wall. The CEO got furious, then he laughed, and then we compromised. But now I'm thinking, maybe this is the solution with Trump. Bannon and maybe a couple of Trump's rent-a-cops go in and pull all the goddamn cable out of the White House before this bastard kills us all. Because unlike Emily Latella, when Trump is told he has misunderstood something he heard on TV, he does not say, never mind. Resist. Peace. <laughs> Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson's father, died. He died today at the age of 89. Joe Jackson, by which we would have never, ever heard of the Jackson Five. You know, the musical group from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the Jackson Five. <clears throat> Motown. He's the reason why they were uh, got with Motown, the Jackson Five. Michael Jackson's father. If it wasn't, we would we would have never heard of Michael Jackson. There would have been no Jackson Five. Uh, Joe Jackson died today. Or was it yesterday? Anyway, it says he's dead. Okay, and there's tributes going all over the place, you know, over him. You know, um, <clears throat> I've never been a fan of his uh, of of Joe Jackson, but I do know that he managed the Jackson. Uh, they said here it says that he has he had eleven children. One child he had uh, while still being married to his wife, but I guess the other ten was, you know. Uh, belong to himself and his wife, you know. 
But anyway, he's dead, Michael Jackson's father. Well, as we know, Michael Jackson died uh, nearly 10 years ago. Uh, drug overdose or something like that. The doctors pre uh, prescribing him uh, too many of the wrong kinds of uh, uh, pills, <clears throat> you know, for his pain and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, his father died today, Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson was 89. I mean, 89, 90 years old, 89, one year away from being 90. And uh, they say he was in a lot of pain. They say he knew he was dying. It was, it was a month ago. He was diagnosed with cancer. Michael Jackson's father, but you have to think about it. He, and one article I think I read, he said that he didn't care or he didn't mind that he was tough on his kids. He said being tough on, a, on his kids made them successful, made them millionaires, made them loved all over the world. He said if he wasn't tough on them, probably that would have never happened. So he was tough on them. But some of them say that he went too far in abusing them, physically abusing them, trying to get them to, I guess, to do the right thing, to do the things he wants them to do. He managed the Jackson 5 for a long time. And Michael has said some pretty, pretty nasty things about him. And I'm hearing that Michael had left him out of his will. I think I've heard that two or three times. Out of his will because he was just so, so mean, I guess. And if you see them, if you see Michael Jackson in the photographs with his father as a young man, you can almost see on Michael's face that he is not happy. He is not happy because his father is 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 such a mean and nasty guy and he was joe jackson said yeah i was tough i was tough on him and i physically abused him i knocked them around i yelled at them but they got their asses in gear and they became famous and they became rich they became this they became that if it wasn't for me he wouldn't be where he is now i, th I think that's what he basically said about michael jackson if michael jackson does, doesn't like what I did to him, doesn't, he, he, he can't take, if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't be where he is now. He, he owed, uh, Joe Jackson felt that Michael Jackson owed a lot to him for his career. And Michael Jackson may have owed a lot, owed a lot to his father. Because if his was, father wasn't tough on him, wasn't this or that on him, he, you know, he may not have been, than uh, the Michael Jackson we would know. But Michael Jackson clearly, I don't think Michael Jackson hated his dad, but I don't think he really liked his father. And Michael Jackson wanted to leave. Uh, he want, I think there was years earlier, I think Michael Jackson wanted to leave the Jackson 5 a, a lot earlier than what he did. Because Michael knew that being in the Jackson 5, he was the one making the money. He was the one the spotlight was on. He was the one with the multiple talent. And as Michael Jackson grew up within the Jackson 5, he felt that he, this is what I'm hearing, he felt that he, uh, he was tired of uh, being their bank. He was tired of being their bank. He said, I'm tired of being your bank. I want to leave. I'm tired of making money for you guys. You guys get out there and make Because Michael Jackson was a very, very, very talented guy. He wanted to do different things than the Jackson Five. He wanted, 
a different kind of people around him. He wanted he wanted people around him who could show him how to expand his talent, to bring something new to the audience. And he did that. He did that right up to his death when he was uh, rehearsing and getting together for his final concert, which he called, which he called This Is It. And it, uh, there's a video, there's videos out there of him preparing to go on his final concert uh, just before he passed away. But the, the story here is that Michael Jackson's father, Joe Jackson, has passed. Uh, he dies at 89. And we're wishing the Jackson family here from the George Wilder Jr. show condolences. Even though they're saying other things about Joe Jackson, uh, that he molested a couple of his daughters and all that kind of stuff. We don't know how true that is, but we don't know how not true that is. So we, we will not go there. All we know is that Joe Jackson brought us, gave us the Jackson Five. He, because Joe Jackson, and back in those times, he was also a musician. I think he worked in the uh, coal mines or something like that, and he bought all bought, he bought all the instruments for his kids. And uh, they were good because he molded them. He may have been a little bit tough, maybe overly tough, but he molded them to, into uh, to being successes. And a lot of them, Michael Jackson seemed like he regretted it. I didn't need, you know, I don't, I, I can't really say what happened. I wasn't there. But um, all I know is he gave us the Jackson 5. And a lot of fans around the world appreciated that, especially Michael. Who was the standout? You know, who was the standout? I think uh, Jermaine Jackson, Tito Jackson, uh, Marlon Jackson. And I just learned that Marlon Jackson had a twin brother who passed away in 1957. See, you're always learning something new. Always learning something new. All right, Joe Jackson dead. Michael Jackson's father. I had this reason why I expanded on this because I was a great fan of uh, the, the Jackson Five. But I was more of a fan of Michael Jackson, and uh, even went with the face, uh, with 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 the with the uh, white face. And um, but he's gone now. Michael Jackson is gone. His father is gone, and uh, we still have uh, Michael Jackson on record. We can always listen to him. You know, he's still there on record, but uh, he's gone. It, it's something when you lose people who are very very talented. That's something. It, it's just, and it's heartbreaking. Well, let's get back to uh, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to be Trump's court. No doubt about that. Even if Trump gets impeached, even if he goes to jail for corruption, and he should, for all kinds of corruption, sexual misconduct, it will still be his court. Even though Donald Trump is a fake president. It will still be his court because the Republicans are in control. They're aiding and abetting. It will be his court. And no matter what the Democrats say, the Democrats are yelling and screaming. No, 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 no. Don't do it like that. Do it to uh, wait until after the midterms. Why would they wait till after the midterms when they know it's going to be a blue wave? Do it now. 
do it. No way that they're going to wait till after the midterms. Trump likes to do things fast and quick and immediate and get it over with. So a Supreme Court pick, we're going to have one before the end of the end of maybe the end of this month. Definitely before the end of uh, next month, July. I mean, it's going to be it's going to happen because this is how Trump operates. Uh, speedy, fast. And the Democrats are just trying to save some face by saying, hey, wait until after the midterms before you seat your uh, before you seat your uh, uh, Supreme Court pick, your Supreme Court pick, which will push the court further to the right, six to three court. And, you know, that's yeah, that's weakening the Democrats. If they weren't weak enough already, they're weakened now. Regardless of regardless of what happens in the midterms, a blue wave or not, they're still going to be weak. And the Republicans are working to weaken them, and it's working. One of, uh, one of the things that Democrats, I think, screwed up on is being, is being weak, uh, spineless, afraid, gutless, and the Republicans just wipe their asses with the Democrats. That's all the Republicans do, wipe their asses with the Democrats in Congress. And now the Democrats are saying, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the the Republicans are saying, no, we're not going to wait. We're going to sit. We have a retired, we have a retired Supreme Court justice. He's retiring. We're going to have to replace him. There's nothing you Democrats can say. We're going to replace him with a conservative, someone who's far to the right, some alt-right wing nut that's going to tear apart, eliminate everything there is in the United States. They're going to vote against it. And Trump is not going to put anybody on that court who is not going to uh, follow his direction and vote the way he wants them to vote. He's going to do that before he even put them on there. And he's going to uh, uh, make sure he has their loyalty and, and make sure that they uh, uh, can readily kiss his ass and do what he wants. So the Supreme Court is gone. It's gone, folks. And I wish that I can say I um, I'm lying, or I wish I can say this is not true. But with Donald Trump, it's all true. And uh, the Democrats are going to have to find a way to dig themselves out of a deep ass hole because they're in one. They have been weakened by McConnell and the Republicans on this issue and on just about every other issue. They can scream and yell and bitch all they want to. The Republicans are saying, kiss my ass. And the Democrats are weakened, especially on the Supreme Court. I'm hearing that the unions have been weakened too. Now, the Supreme Court ruled that unions can no longer collect union dues from non-members, which makes sense to me in a way. But, you know, Democrats got a, they got a, a tough road to hold. Even if there is a blue, a blue wave, a tsunami that's coming, the Democrats with this lopsided mix on a Supreme Court, the Democrats lose. They lose. They let the few Republicans in office just make them look silly and crazy. 
All right, you've been listening to the George Walter Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio, and I want to apologize, everybody, if it seems that I, you know, uh, I'm still under the weather, folks. So, you know, I'm doing the best I can here. So I hope you join me tomorrow, folks, if I'm feeling well. I will be right here. Make sure you're always right here. If you can't uh, listen to me live, always podcast the show. They're they're great. They're wonderful. Sound good. They're, and they're fun. They're fun. All right, everybody, I want to say have a good evening. Have a good day, good night, whatever comes first, whenever, you, whenever you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Have a great weekend. Have a great evening. Have fun and stay up, stay positive, and vote blue. Bye-bye, everybody.